Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we sing about you, we talk about you, we worship you, we think about you. Because you're the central figure in our faith and in our lives. My goodness, you're the central figure in history. So today we, we once again take a look at you, your life, and of course the beginning of your days on the earth. And we pray that you would speak to us and that our eyes would be opened and there would be that uh, Holy Spirit connection with you today. Draw us close by your Holy Spirit. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me just say this. It's not part of my message, but uh, it occurred to me during my prayer to say this, and it's, it's very elementary, but we still need to say it. Uh, Jesus did not begin... Jesus' life did not begin when he was born in a manger. Uh, Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, uh, there never was a beginning. They've always been. I know our brains can't process that. But our brains can believe that. And so I know some people, unaware, they communicate that, well, Jesus, you know, he didn't exist until... The, the manger. Well, that's not true. It was, uh, as a matter of fact, several years ago, I did a series of teachings uh, entitled Jesus in the Old Testament. And I went through all, not all, I went through a lot of the appearances, we call them Christophanies, of Jesus in the Old Testament. So anyway, you knew that, and I didn't need to tell you, but I needed to tell you. Today we've entitled the message, Oh, Worship the King. It's interesting, some of the songs that we've sung today. And um, while Sean might have known my title, I don't think he knew my content uh, today. And so one of, the, one of the things we're after today and want to accomplish is to let all of our Christmas season proceedings to be acts of worship to the king. I'm not opposed to gift giving and gift receiving. I'm not opposed to the, the festive nature of the year. I'm not opposed to the, to the, the even jingle bells. Although I, re, I read yesterday the, the history of the writing of the song Jingle Bells. And not only is it, of course, we already knew this, that it's not really a Christmas song at all. Uh, it's, anyway, you ought to read the history of jingle bells. I'll just leave it at that. I don't mind all of it. I don't even mind the little fat guy with, in a red suit as long as you got him kneeling beside the manger. But everything that we do during this season should at some point and in some way be an act of worship to the king. And that we should see and let his coming to earth as a human being coming near to us. To bring us near to him. That's the whole point. And Jesus never was intended to be some faraway God, some faraway savior that we could not relate to, but he was always intended to be near. And I pray that this message today, if it does nothing else, I pray that it draws us closer to his presence. 
Not just in this room, but in our lives. Again, practicing the presence of God all the time, not just in religious gatherings. And we're going to do that. We're going to observe the response of some of those that were blessed to see him with their own eyes. Doggone Steve Webb. He's observing him with his whatever eyes you have in heaven today. John in his first letter and his first verse said these words. We saw him with our own eyes. And we touched him with our own hands. There's just a limited number of people who could say that. Who can utter those words. And so while Kevin Brummett read it last week, I'm going to read Luke 2 again today. Uh, You think you get too much reading in the scripture? Do you think you get too much reading of Luke chapter 2 in the scripture? Well, good. I'm glad you said that. So turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Uh, and and uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. And if you can, if you would stand while I read these verses. If you can't, you're not going to offend me. And, and it's not sacrilegious. It's just something we do. Uh, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when or before Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, or his fiancée, who was with with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, indicating there were others, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the high. By the way, it doesn't say they were singing, but it doesn't say they weren't. Okay? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Don't you, don't you, don't you wish that everything, whenever you told people about Jesus, it created wonder in their heart. 
Oh boy, I got sidetracked. And the shepherds returned glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You can be seated. As, as Sean alluded to, uh, one of the things we want to make sure of is that we, first of all, recognize that Jesus came as a human being. He came born as, as a baby, and he was uh, placed in a manger, a feeding trough when he was a baby. But we also want to make sure that we don't leave him in the manger. We want to recognize that he's the king. Thus, the title today, Oh, Worship the King. And so I want to talk for just a moment about the prophesied king. Isaiah had prophesied uh, in in seven in Isaiah seven fourteen these words. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign: Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. A child. I don't want to sound too critical, and I don't want to be critical. Uh, there's a song that's been recorded by everybody. I'm not even going to name who's, who's recorded it out there. But I, as I listened to it on the radio and I heard these words, let's make a baby king. Again, I, I, I don't want to be persnickety, but how many of you know that nobody can make a baby king? How many of you know when he was born, he was already king? It wasn't like, well, hey, let's, I like him. Let's make him king. No, he was already king. He's king whether we want to make him king or not. I'm, again, I hate being too persnickety, but I pay attention to lyrics. And sometimes when lyrics aren't exactly the truth, I, 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 I get a twitch. Anyway. <laughs> so here, this virgin shall conceive, shall bear a son, and we shall call him Emmanuel, which we already know means God with us. Uh, we were somewhere, oh, we were at a, I think at a church Thursday night and the, the pastor there pointed out how that we could not, we had, we had not the ability to get to God, to get to the Lord Jesus. We've tried every way we know how. We've tried every kind of work, every kind of, every kind of good thing that we could come up with to get to heaven, to get where God is. And, and the pastor pointed out the absolute truth that there is absolutely no way that we can do anything good enough to get to heaven. So God said, I got a better solution. I'm going to come to where you are. And I'm going to provide a way for you to come to heaven through the good works and the good work of the Lord Jesus and his forgiveness of our sins. And so... Emmanuel, God with us. And then Isaiah goes on to say, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And you, you've heard me say that a child is born deals with Jesus becoming a human being and, 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 and becoming a part of humanity. The son is given is a son continues the father's name. And so we have a we have a human being. We also have God in the flesh, God with us, the Son, 
who is continuing the Father's name and extending the kingdom of God in the earth. For a child is born, a son is given, and he said, and the government, and you can insert the word there, kingdom, will be upon his shoulder. Again, he's still talking about a baby. Now, previous to those verses, it says this, those folks who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those folks who lived in, by, by the way, we know that when Jesus was born was probably the darkest time of in the ages. There was more immorality, more departure from God and God's ways than any time before. And Jesus stepped out of heaven into that darkness. But those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The next verse says, and of the increase of his government or his kingdom and peace, there will be no end, no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And I'll just let you know that you are what you already know, that if the zeal of the Lord of hosts is performing it, it will be performed. It will get done. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. The people of Israel knew a lot of these scriptures, but somehow they did not, they did not equate a baby with a king. That, as you know, they thought, uh, they thought they were, they were looking for a mighty warrior coming in on a white horse to destroy the Roman army and liberate them and set them free. They never expected a baby. But when we go back to Daniel, and Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came Two, in some versions there say, came up to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him. The Ancient of Days, obviously, is God the Father. The Son of Man. He saw this in a vision. The Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days. And it's interesting, the verse, it says, and they, you know, we often want to know who, you know, who is who the they is. They said, well, who is they? They, I'd love to know this they, they brought him, the son of man, near before him, the ancient of days. That's not where it ended. And it says, and to him, the son of man, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That all the peoples, nations, and men and women of every language might serve him. I'll point out that the word serve there is a word that can be and isn't sometimes translated worship. To, 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 uh, to pay homage. We'll come back to that too. To reverence him. That he says his dominion. Watch this. These two words, or it's the same word twice, jumped off the page at me. His dominion. Everybody know what the definition of is is? I don't want to get political. But anyway, is. His dominion, say it with me, is. is. Not was. 
not even will be. His dominion is. Say it again. Is. An everlasting dominion. Which will not pass away. And his kingdom, say it again, is one which will not be destroyed. Daniel saw this. And he, you know, he didn't know what he was seeing, but he was in the night visions. And he saw this taking place, what was coming. We know that the Son of Man indicated in this passage is the Lord Jesus because it says he came with the clouds of heaven. Couldn't speak that about anything or anyone else. It's a clear indicator of his divine authority. He was given dominion that will not pass away regardless of what our, our world system and our culture looks like. His kingdom will not go away. Not only will it not go away, it will not cease to increase. And sometimes we think that when the end of time comes and Jesus comes back, And however he comes back, you know, some people believe in a rapture. Some people don't. I'm not sure which way I believe. Here's what I do believe. Jesus coming back. And when he does, he's going to consummate the age. But is it possible that when he consummates the age, is it possible that the kingdom ceases to increase? I don't think so. Because this verse says it will never. Everybody say never. Never. Never is a long time. When I was a kid, I used to say, man, Christmas never gets here. Well, it seems like that as a kid. But now that we're buying the presents, it gets here every two months. It's Christmas. <laughs> he prophesied that it would be an everlasting dominion. Kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. We know that our enemy would love to destroy the effects of God's kingdom. I hasten to point out that the kingdom of God is a different kingdom. The people of that day would have known a kingdom that would have been governed in most cases by a hard taskmaster, a harsh taskmaster, by someone who was more interested interested in their own Desires and filling their own coffers than caring for the subjects of their kingdom. But I'll tell you that the kingdom of God is one that is marked by righteousness and it's marked by peace and it's marked by joy. And our king is a benevolent king, a loving king, a caring king who's not ruling with a hard hammer to crush us, but our king is one who is, is going with us and carrying us along by the Spirit of God to get us to a certain place. And he said, I, I've got good things for you. This is the kingdom of God. But God threw them a curve. They saw all these. They, they, they read Daniel and they read all the, they, they, God, they were looking for that warrior. But one faithful night, that faithful night that came that we celebrate this time of year, Louis Giglio said it this way. We go from Malachi to Matthew in one page of our scriptures. Unless you have a, with the Apocrypha. It's okay. But that one piece of paper that separates the Old Testament from the New Testament 
represents 400 years of history. 400 years where there wasn't a prophet. 400 years where God's voice wasn't heard. And that silence was broken with the cry of a baby on Christmas night. That silence of 400 years was broken when Jesus was born as a baby. And, the, and you say, you know, there's a song that says it really wasn't a silent night. Well, it was and it wasn't. But maybe we'll deal with that next week. It's interesting that the first visitors to the manger were these stanky shepherds that we read about, that Kevin talked about last week. And they, the, the, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, just put yourself in their position. Don't have a religious glasses on, don't, religious seeing eyeglasses. Think of the, you're out in the field, you've put your sheep down for the night, you're getting ready, and here, the angel of the Lord just, you, you turn and you turn back around, and there's the angel of the Lord. Now, I don't know what the angel of the Lord looks like. Sometimes when we see in the Old Testament, angel of the Lord, sometimes it's, it's the, a pre-incarnate visitation of the Lord Jesus himself. This is not the one. But this, the angel of the Lord is not a cute little fat with big belly angel with an arrow, bow and arrow. But we, this angel is a mighty angel, probably a lot bigger than the, anyway. Nevertheless, I'm, I'm speculating too much. I'm trying to point out that the angel of the Lord is something, someone who would intimidate you and me. And he's standing there. Well, the Bible says they were afraid. Well, wouldn't you be? I mean, not only is this a mighty, a mighty appearance of a mighty entity, but you're, you're out in the field with your sheep and you and whoever else is with you and boom, there's somebody else there. I mean, you're talking about the twilight zone. Where did he come from? I point out to you that these were not scientists. They were not doctors. They were not college professors. And let me just point out to you that Jesus appears to all of those. But they were sheep herders. And so this angel's telling them the good news. And then, if that's not enough, suddenly, everybody say suddenly. suddenly. You better get ready for you suddenly. Suddenly... There's this huge heavenly host with them. And, and again, it, you know, it doesn't say saying, but we sing, we sing that they're singing, and that's good enough for me. Glory to God in the highest. And you know, you're talking about a choir, you think the Christ Church choir or something, you ought to sing this one. And these guys, we don't know a lot about them, but man, you can, you can read some stuff in between the lines by how they responded here. They said, man, alive, after the angels left. And did you notice it said the angels went back to heaven? They left, and then the shepherd said, you know what? We better go on into Bethlehem and see what this is and see and view what this angel. Now, remember, he told them you got a Savior born in, a Savior wrapped in cloth. Told them the whole thing. Let's go see about this. Remember what it said about the regions? I mean, the shepherd said in the same region. They were close by. 
And so I don't know, I'm, I have to say this real carefully, sheep sitters. <laughs> Make sure you get a drink of water for that one. I don't know if that's what you get or not, but they left and went into town, went into Bethlehem to see what the angels had told them. I think they went with worship in their hearts because they knew what they were going. They were going to see the Savior. They knew they were going to see a baby. Now, there are a lot of people in that day, if they had been told the Savior is in Bethlehem and he's the baby, they would have said, you hate too much pizza. Because they didn't expect a baby. But these shepherds, for whatever reason, simple in their faith, said, hey, let's go see. Because they were going to see a Savior. They weren't just going to see a baby. Because think about this. You go into the city. Without all of that, you just go into Bethlehem, you find this man and this woman and these animals, and you find this baby, and it, by all accounts, probably didn't look a lot different. As a matter of fact, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus didn't have anything about his appearance that looked significant. He looked like everybody else. Think, but without, but with the word of the angels. Well, now we now we know what we're looking for, Savior. Baby, hallelujah, let's go see. The scripture says they went in haste. They went in a hurry. I'm not a big fan of the message Bible, but it said they ran. They were running, and I believe that's what they were doing. I believe they were running in, into Bethlehem, and they saw this, saw the baby. They told Joseph and Mary everything the angels had told them, which basically confirmed what they had already been told themselves, don't you like it when, when what you think God has shown you or told you is confirmed by something or someone? I mean, that's, that's a nice thing. And so here are, these, here are these shepherds who probably needed a bath. But that at this point, I don't think anybody cared. And they're telling Joseph and Mary the, what the angels said. And Joseph and Mary are looking at one another, looking at one another, and smiling and saying, that's exactly what we've been told already. This is the Savior of mankind right here in this feeding trough. And then it says they returned glorifying God. One of the things I'm after today, and I think the Lord is after, is that we realize the whole reason for Christmas is that we would worship the king. They were worshiping the king, even though he was a, an infant. They were worshiping the king they went back and they started telling people. I don't know who you tell out there. Maybe other shepherds. I don't know. People along the way. But they were telling everybody they saw. And let me just tell you, if you have a real encounter with the Lord Jesus, uh, you're going to want to tell somebody. You're going to want to tell somebody about that. And they did. And they went and tell everybody, this, this is what we saw. Another faithful day happened approximately two years later. I'm not turning to the passage, but you can find it in Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And that we have these men that, that uh, we sing about, we three men, anyway, of Orient are. Uh, some people call them wise men. They probably were wise, but they also were what we call magi. And um, 
They were, they could have been from Persia or they could have been from Babylon. We don't really know. There's a lot we don't know about these folks. We do know that they were men of philosophy. They were men of science and medicine and astrology and dream interpretations. And they studied the sacred writings, this, this order of magi. That's who these were. So you have shepherds who are not any of those things, earthy, uneducated in some ways. You have these probably wealthy based on the stuff they brought with them. You say, well, who does Jesus come to? Everybody. You know, I've heard. I'm not going to get into that. They got into where Jerusalem and they said, where is he? I love that, that, that wording in Matthew 2. Where is he? The king of the Jews. Where is he? We've heard that he's been, we've been following this star. As a matter of fact, I love this part. It's long years before I ever noticed this. We saw his star. They didn't say we saw a star. Or we didn't, he didn't say, we saw the star. We saw his star. This particular star had one, one mission and one mission alone, and that was to guide to the manger. Some people believe that because these gentlemen were scientists and studied the stars and studied sacred writings, that they knew Numbers 24, 17, which says, I see him, but not now. How about that? I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult, the star of Jacob. Some people believe, and I do too, that these magi, wherever they were, saw this star that God put in the sky, and this star guided them. And they saw, we see him, but not now. But they were going to get past the not now. They said, where is this king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. They knew they were looking for a child, but yet they were... They were coming to worship him. Now, Herod feigned worship. He, 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 he said, I, I want to worship him too. Won't you tell me where he is if you find him? Well, we know what he wanted. He, he proved what he wanted when he had all of the boys under the age of two years old massacred. Sometimes people will fake worship of God to attain personal goals. We'll just leave that alone. Jesus' star directed them to the manger. They might have thought they were going somewhere significant, but as we've pointed out in the past and probably will again in the future, they were going to Bethlehem, which is the city of Judah, which is so small, it's not even listed with the cities. And yet, here's where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was born. And then it says something significant, which, you know, I think we already be anyway. It says they entered into the house. Now, they weren't in the manger anymore because it's been approximately two years, we think, since they began their journey. Maybe less, but 
It says they went into the house. So they had moved from a manger to a house. And the scripture says they saw the child with Mary, his mother. I know he was still there, but it's interesting that that Matthew does not mention Joseph being there. But they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And again, this is somewhere up to, it could have been a year, anyway, up to two years after his birth. But when they saw the child, this is, this is something we can't miss. They fell down and worshiped when they saw the child. And then they broke out their treasures. Their treasures, by the way, were fit for a king. And that's why they brought them. They brought gold. Again, probably wealthy men. They brought gold, which is always associated with royalty and nobility. It's always associated with a king. They viewed him as a king. Even though he's a baby or he's two years old or less, they viewed him as a king and they brought gifts fit for a king. And this was basically a prophetic gesture on their part, even though they probably didn't know that. They brought frankincense. <laughs> Have y'all seen the cartoon, the meme, or whatever you want to call it? These guys are standing out in a meeting, and you know one of them's got some myrrh in their hand, one of them's got some gold, and the other one's got Frankenstein. <laughs> and they said, you had one job. But they brought frankincense, and the the burning of frankincense was and is associated with the worship of a deity, or is associated with priesthood. And they brought that frankincense. The wise men, the magi, unbeknowingly to them, offered another prophetic gesture in the gift that identified this newborn king as deity, He was very God. They knew that, but they didn't, they probably didn't know any, any of what they were doing. And then of course the myrrh is a key ingredient in spices that are used to prepare bodies for burial. So you have royalty, you have deity, and you have ultimately a death. Could Mary Could Mary have known what that myrrh, when she saw the myrrh, could she have known what was happening then? Could she have known what that was meant? Because remember, we didn't cover it today, but Simeon had told her, a sword will pierce through your own soul, giving her an indication of what his future looked like. Prophetic gestures on the part of these magi worshiping the king even though he was very young well we were created by and created for that king bible says nothing was made that is made without him He's the creator of the universe. He's the creator of you. You were created because of God's love, not because of loneliness. <laughs> I've shared with you in my early years uh, how many times I heard people say, well, God was, 
God was lonely and he wanted to have some people to fellowship with him. And so he created mankind. And I can tell you that is the furthest thing from the truth you could ever say. God did not create you or me or mankind because he was lonely for fellowship. He created mankind because he had love in his heart and it was expressed in giving you life. The late Arne Baxter used to always say, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is a sweet society all to themselves. He didn't need us, but he wanted us. He wanted us to have life. He wanted us to live. He wanted us to occupy this earth. And therefore, we were created to worship. We were created because of God's love. We were created for the king. And therefore, we were created to worship. Worship, we've done this in the past, but worship comes from an old English word, worth-ship. And you can, in First Chronicles, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in holy array. One great definition of attributing worth-ship to God is that we ascribe to him the glory due his name. Yes, we ascribe to him glory. We ascribe worthship. We sang it earlier. He is worthy of it all. That's worthship. I don't have to spend time today to say to us that worship must. Everybody say must. must. Okay, you're still awake. Worship must go beyond this room and this time of the week. Worship must be a lifestyle. It must be an outworking of who we are every day. Worthship. We were created to worship. Is that because God is an egotistical God? Is that because he needed somebody to satisfy his, his insecurities? No. Ecclesiastes tells us that He has put eternity in our hearts. Even in a fallen state, Solomon could see that God has placed eternity in our hearts. And we need to worship. It's not just that God wants us to worship. It's that we need to worship. Why do we need? Because we have eternity in our hearts. The only thing that can satisfy eternity is Eternity. It is in seeking God that satisfies that place of eternity in each of our hearts. And God knew that. He, when he created us and he created us and he put eternity in our hearts and he put, created us in such a way that we need to worship. He knew that as we seek God and seek God's face, in, in worship, that that place of eternity that he placed in us. By the way, that's in every human being, not just in Christians, which is why some people are seeking, as Johnny Lee said, in all the wrong places to satisfy that eternity. They don't know what, what they're looking for, something or someone, something to satisfy this need. But the only way it can be satisfied is when we worship, when we offer worth 
to God the Father. You will never be satisfied in your life except that your life is a life of worship. Again, I don't mean, I don't have to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't mean walking around singing songs all the time, which is fine, as long as you don't sing off key. But uh, that's okay. Just sing it to God because he doesn't mind. Now, some of the rest of us, anyway, (laughs) that's not what we're talking about. Although singing's good. We're not just talking about walking around singing songs. We're talking about everything you do in your life is an act of worship to God. It's an act of attributing worthship to Him. And when you do that, you will find contentment. You say, well, I thought the only way I'd find contentment is seek contentment. See, that's the problem. Don't seek contentment. Seek, seek the God of contentment. I wrote it this way, created to worship because the Father knows how we best function. And the best spiritual fuel for us to carry us along this journey of following Jesus. It's the way we get from point A to point B is we worship God. It, acts of worship. When you, you come, you bring an offering. Act of worship. You, you, uh, you pray to God and you, you, you come before Him with your petitions. Act of worship. I mean, it's every day we have opportunity to worship God and to live a life of worship and ascribing to Him the glory due His name. And if we can worship the King who came as a baby, and even then He was worshipped. They didn't wait for Him to get, you know, when He gets grown, I'll worship Him. No, they worshipped Him in the manger. They worshipped Him in the house when He was a toddler. And we worship him today because of all of that. And when we do that, we find that. That place, Psalm 2 says, to pay homage to the Son. And today we pay homage to the Son of God. We pay homage to this time of year because it it marks the night that that cry broke the silence of those 400 years. And we pay homage to him, which is what? Worship. The more we direct our focus on Him, the more satisfaction we find in us. But if we seek just satisfaction in us, we will find nothing but frustration. Frustration. I'll finish today with a a poem. I, I didn't put it on the screen. You can look it up. It's a, it's called, it's by Reverend James Allen Francis and it's entitled One Solitary Life. So just listen and you can look it up on the internet if you need a visual, but it says he was born in an obscure village, a child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never had a family or owned a home. He never set foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. Think about that. He never wrote a book or he never held an office. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. While he was still a young man, 
the tide of popular opinion turned against him and his friends deserted him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave. Nineteen centuries, of course, this was written a while back, have come and gone, and today he is still the central figure for much of the human race. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, and all the parliaments that have ever sat, and all the kings that have ever reigned, put together, have not the effect, the life of man upon this earth, as powerfully as this one solitary life. We celebrate at Christmas that solitary life. We celebrate that solitary King of kings, Lord of lords, coming and beginning his journey with us. And we still do it today. So I invite you, oh, worship the king. Stand with me.